section thirty one of library of the world's best literature ancient and modern volume five this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by bruce peary library of the world's best literature ancient and modern volume five section thirty one essay on george borrow by julian hawthorne george borrow eighteen o three to eighteen eighty one george borrow lived eight-and-seventy years and published ten books in his veins was mingled the blood of cornwall and of normandy but though proud of this strain he valued still more that personal independence which together with his love of strange tongues and his passion for outdoor life moulded his career his nature was mystical and eccentric and he sometimes approached though he never crossed the confines of insanity yet his instincts were robust and plain he was an apostle of english ale and a master of the art of self-defence he was an uncompromising champion of the church of england and the savage foe of papistry he despised kid-glove gentility in life and literature and delighted to make his spear ring against the hollow shield of social convention a nature so complicated and individual so outspoken and aggressive could not slip smoothly along the grooves of civilized existence he was soundly loved and hated but seldom or never understood and the obstinate pride which gave projection to most of his virtues was also at the bottom of his faults he better liked to perplex than to open himself to his associates he wilfully repelled where he might have captivated some human element was wanting in him he was strong masculine subtle persistent of a lofty and austere spirit too proud even to be personally ambitious gifted with humour and insight fearless and faithful but no tenderness no gentleness no inviting human warmth ever appears in him and though he could reverence women and admire them and appreciate them also from the standpoint of the senses they had no determining sway over his life or thought if there be any man in english history whom such a summary of traits as this recalls it is dean swift nevertheless borrow's differences from him are far greater than the resemblances between them giant force was in both of them both were enigmas but the deeper we penetrate into borrow the more we like him not so with the blue-eyed dean borrow's depths are dark and tortuous but never miasmic and as we grope our way through them we may stumble upon treasures but never upon rottenness a man who can be assigned to no recognized type who flocks by himself as the saying is cannot easily be portrayed we lose the main design in our struggle with the details indeed no two portraits of such a man can be alike they will vary according to the temperament and limitations of the painter it is safe to assert however that insatiable curiosity was at the base both of his character and of his achievements instincts he doubtless had in plenty but no intuitions everything must be construed to him categorically 
but his capacity keeps pace with his curiosity he promptly assimilates all he learns and he can forget nothing probably this investigating passion had its cause in his own unlikeness to the rest of us he was as a visitor from another planet pledged to send home reports of all he saw here his success in finding strange things is prodigious his strange eye detects oddities and beauties to which we to the manner born were strange adventures attend him everywhere as the powers of earth and air on prospero here comes the king of the vipers the dry stubble crackling beneath his outrageous belly yonder the foredoomed sailor promptly fulfils his own prediction falling from the yard-arm into the bay of biscay anon the ghastly visage of mrs hearn of the hairy ones glares for a moment out of the midnight hedge again a mysterious infatuation drives the wealthy idler from his bed out into the inclement darkness and up to the topmost bough of the tree which he must touch ere he can rest and now in the gloom of the memorable dingle the horror of fear falls upon the amateur tinker the evil one grapples terribly with his soul blots of foam fly from his lips and he is dashed against the trees and stones an adventure truly fit to stand with any of mediaeval legend and compared with which the tremendous combat with blazing bosville the flaming tin man is almost a relief but in what perilous fairyland forlorn do all these and a thousand more strange and moving incidents take place why in the quiet lanes and byways of nineteenth-century england or perchance in priest-ridden spain where the ordinary traveller can for the life of him discover nothing more startling than beef and beer garlic and crucifixes adventures are in the adventurer man and nature were borrow's study but england was his love in him exalted patriotism touches its apogee how nobly and uncompromisingly is he jealous of her honour her glory and her independence in what eloquent apostrophes does he urge her to be true to her lofty traditions to trample on base expediency and cleave to the brave and true in what resounding jeremiads does he denounce woe upon her traitors and seducers with what savage sarcasm and scorn does he dissect the soul of the man in black no other writing more powerful picturesque and idiomatic has been done in this century he will advocate no policy less austere than purity courage and truth there is in his zeal a narrowness that augments its strength yet lessens its effect so far as practical issues are concerned he is an idealist but surely no young man can read his stern throbbing pages without a kindling of the soul and a resolve to be high in deed and aim and there is no gauging the final influence of such spiritual stimulus england and mankind must be better for this lonely indignant voice england and england's religion and the bible in its integrity these are the controlling strings of borrow's harp yet he had his youthful period of religious doubt and philosophic sophism 
has he not told how walls and ceilings rang with the hay of the man with the face of a lion when the grey-haired boy intimated his scepticism but vicissitudes of soul and body aided by the itinerant welsh preacher cleansed him of these errors and he undertook and carried through the famous crusade recorded in the bible in spain a narrative of adventure and devotion which fascinated and astonished england and sets its author abreast of the great writers of his time it is as irresistible to-day as it was fifty years ago it stands alone only trelawney's adventures of a younger son can be compared with it as narrative and trelawney's book lacks the grand central feature which gives dignity and unity to borrows being a story of fact the bible in spain lacks much of the literary art and felicity as well as the imaginative charm of lavengro but within its own scope it is great and nothing can supersede it gypsydom in all its aspects though logically a side issue with borrow was nevertheless the most noticeable thing relating to him it engaged and colored him on the side of his temperament and in the picture we form of a man temperament tells far more than intellect because it is more individual later pundits have called in question the academic accuracy of borrow's researches in the romany language but such frettings are beside the mark borrow is the only genuine expounder of gypsiness that ever lived he laid hold of their vitals and they of his his act of brotherhood with mr jasper petulengro is but a symbol of his mystical alliance with the race this is not to say that he fathomed the heart of their mystery the gypsies themselves cannot do that but he comprehended whatever in them is open to comprehension and his undying interest in them is due not only to his sympathy with their way of life but to the fact that his curiosity about them could never be quite satisfied other mysteries come and go but the gypsy mystery stays with us and was to borrow a source of endless content for after sharpening his wits on the ethnological riddle he could refresh himself with the psychical aspect of the matter discovering in them the incarnation of one essential human quality incompletely present in all men they are the perfect vagabonds but the germ of vagabondage inheres in mankind at large and is the source of the changes that have resulted in what we call civilization borrow's nature comprised the gypsy but the gypsy by no means comprised him he wandered like them but the object of his wanderings was something more than to tell duckery pens poison pigs mend kettles or deal in horseflesh therefore he puzzled them more than they did him the gypsies of spain eighteen forty one was his first book about them lavengro came ten years later and romany rye six years after that in eighteen seventy four he returns to the subject in roman lavolil a sort of dictionary and phrase-book of the language but unlike any other dictionary and phrase-book ever conceived it is well worth reading as a piece of entertaining literature 
his other books are translations of norse and welsh poetry and a book of travels in wild wales published in eighteen sixty two all these works are more than readable the translations though rugged and unmusical have about them a frank sensuousness and a primitive force that are amusing and attractive but after all borrow is never thoroughly himself in literature unless the gypsies are close at hand and of all his gypsy books lavengro is by far the best indeed it is so much the best and broadest thing that he produced that the reader who would know borrow need never go beyond these pages in lavengro we get the culmination of both the author and the man it is his book in the full sense and may afford profitable study to any competent reader for a lifetime lavengro in fact is like nothing else in either biography or fiction and it is both fictitious and biographical it is the gradual revelation of a strange unique being but the revelation does not proceed in an orderly and chronological fashion it is not begun in the first chapter and still less is it completed in the last after a careful perusal of the book you will admit that though it has fascinated and impressed you you have quite failed to understand it why is the author so whimsical wherefore these hinted but unconfessed secrets why does he stop short on the brink of an important disclosure and diverge under cover of a line of asterisks into another subject but borrow in lavengro is not constructing a book he is creating one he has the reserves of a man who respects his own nature yet he treats the reader fairly if you are worthy to be his friend by and by you will see his heart look again and yet again that passage in a former chapter was incomplete but look ahead a hundred pages and consider a paragraph there by itself it seems to say little but gradually you recognize in it a part of the inwoven strand which disappears in one part of the knot and emerges in another though you cannot solve the genial riddle to-day you may to-morrow the only clue is sympathy this man hides his heart for him who has the mate to it and beneath the whimsical indifferent proud and cold exterior how it heaves and fears and loves and wonders this is a wild unprecedented eloquent mysterious artistic yet artless book it is alive it tells of an existence apart yet in contact with the deep things of all human experience no other man ever lived as borrow did and yet his book is an epitome of life the magic of his personal quality beguiles us on every page but deeper still lie the large immutable traits that make all men men and avouch the unity of mankind romany rye is the continuation of lavengro but scarcely repeats its charm its most remarkable feature is an appendix in which borrow expounds his views upon things in general including critics and politics it is a marvellously trenchant piece of writing and from the literary point of view delightful but it must have hurt a good many people's feelings at the time it was published 
and even now shows the author on his harsh side only we may agree with all he says and yet wish he had uttered it in a less rasping tone like nearly all great writers borrow in order to get his best effects must have room for his imagination mere fact would not rouse him fully and abstract argument still less in love and grow he hit upon his right vein and he worked it in the fresh maturity of his power the style is borrow's own peculiar to him eloquent rugged full of liturgical repetitions shunning all soft assonances and refinements and yet with remote sea-like cadences and unhackneyed felicities that rejoice the jaded soul writing with him was spontaneous but never heedless or unconsidered it was always the outcome of deep thought and vehement feeling other writers and their books may be twain but borrow and his books are one perhaps they might be improved in art or arrangement or subject but we should no longer care for them then because they would cease to be borrow borrow may not have been a beauty or a saint but a man he was and good or bad we would not alter a hair of him nothing like an adequate biography of borrow has ever been published a few dates and some more or less intelligent opinions about his character and work are the sum of what we know of him outside his own books some of the dates are probably guesswork most of the opinions are incompetent it is time that some adequate mind assembled all available materials and digested them into a satisfactory book it is hardly worth while to review the few meagre details borrow was born in eighteen o three and died in eighteen eighty one his father a soldier failed to make a solicitor of him and the youth at his father's death came up to london to live or die by literature after much hardship of which the chapters in lavengro describing the production of joseph sell convey a hint he set out on a wandering pilgrimage over england europe and the east as agent for the british and foreign bible society he traversed spain and portugal sending to the morning herald letters descriptive of his adventures which afterwards were made the substance of his books he married at thirty-seven and lived at outen broad nearly all his life after his wife died a dozen years before him in eighteen sixty nine she left no children his first book a translation of Klinger's faust appeared in eighteen twenty five his last the gypsy dictionary in eighteen seventy four a volume called penquite and pentire on cornwall was announced in eighteen fifty seven but seems never to have been published targum a collection of translations from thirty languages and dialects was a tour de force belonging to the year eighteen thirty five on the whole borrow was not a voluminous writer but what he wrote tells end of section thirty one